All right, everybody, let's roll. You guys are already sitting. Already sitting, already ready. Now, listen, I... I just, I want to have a moment with you guys, if that's cool. I, I just, you and I, special moment, uh, together, okay? Hand in hand, arm in arm. Uh, what, what I want to do is share with you what I believe to be uh, three of the most influential uh, love songs, okay? And, and as, as, I, as I play these, I just, seriously, I just, I want us just to ha- just take this in, okay? If you need to grab the person next to you, hand, if you're like, whatever, you want to put up your phones, okay, create a little atmosphere, whatever you want to do, song number one, come on, just take this in, here we go, yeah, oh, there it is. Just let it sink in, come on, yeah. But people just get on their, on, on their feet, right? All right, all right. Is, is anyone, right, have you, like, that song changed your life? Anybody in this room? Okay. All right. Now, if that song, if that song didn't change your life, I guarantee you this song has, okay? That's good, that's good, that's good. Mm. Mm. Many a life have been changed over Hathaway's What is Love. Now, listen, I have saved the best for last. And I'm serious, listen, if you got, if you got tissue, all right, if you've, if you've got, like, what, just, just listen, just do what you got to do right now, okay? What I believe to be the most influential love song of all time, my friends, ladies and gentlemen, take it in, come on, here we go. Just feel it, come on. <laughs> there she is. Every night in my dreams, I see you, I feel you. Man. It's true. Is anyone crying right now? Just true story, come on. I know Pastor Jared is because he is obsessed with the Titanic, um, as am I. Man, listen, there, there's just there's something about a uh, there's something about a love song that um, makes you feel a certain way. Uh, my guess is for those of you guys that are married here, uh, you had you had a song, okay? How many of you couples had a song, okay? I, I want to hear a couple of these. What, what was your song back there? What's your song? This may be embarrassing. Never stop. Okay. Don't. Is my saying this real? Okay. Perfect. I can't hear a word you're saying, but we're going to go with it. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Any others? Any other like couple songs? Yeah. What's your song? Oh, I'm sorry. J- James Taylor. How sweet. Okay. Nice. James Taylor. He's awesome if you're old. And what? And I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, Tina. I love you. Seasoned. And, and what's yours? Finally, what's your? I want crazy. What, I want crazy? Who sings that? 
It's a country song. There we go. Straight from, <laughs> straight from Satan. <laughs> Listen, let, let's just agree. Love songs, they just like, they just make us feel a certain way. Um, in fact, I would say, uh, of course, uh, the way most of you would define love is, uh, is based on your feelings, based on your emotions, based on the things that on the inside get evoked, okay? Well, uh, listen, um, tonight, tonight we get to do it. Like, we're, we're here, okay? And we're not at a wedding. Uh, I, I proposed, actually, using 1 Corinthians 13, and, um, and so, it, man, it, it holds a ton of meaning for many of us. Uh, many people agree that Paul's love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, is uh, definitely his most poetic, his most uh, rhythmic. Uh, some have called it Paul's hymn. Very influential book, but, but I'm telling you what, by the end of this evening, we're going to spend two weeks on it, by the end of this evening, you're going to understand that this text has way more implications than for a wedding. That's why the first question we have to wrestle with before we dive into the text is this, are you loving? So if I just pass the mic right now, and and the question was, are you loving? It's a really interesting question to have to answer, isn't it? Well, am I loving? I I guess, or, or, or maybe, let me give you four, I think, maybe a troubling statements to make in answer to this question. I'm loving, though in reality I sacrifice little for others. In other words, uh, some of you may feel like you're loving, but the truth is, the reality is, you give up very, very little. You hoard very, very much. Okay? Uh, Maybe for some of you, this would be the truth statement. Next slide. I'm loving... Though I extend grace slowly, I'm very slow to forgive, Uh, I'm very quick to get angry, and I I hold grace very, very tightly as if it is mine to give, okay? Uh, Maybe for some of you it's this statement, I'm, I'm loving, though I am only hospitable to those who reciprocate hospitality, so, oh, Mark, of, of course, I, I am loving, but if you looked at my life, I'm very hospitable, especially, especially to those who are unbelievably hospitable to me. I believe, like, maybe even some of you are starting to wrestle a bit because you're realizing you've based, are you loving, on 95 or 96 or 97% feeling. How about this last statement? I'm loving Though I am compassionate only to those who have earned my compassion. I'll be compassionate to the homeless only if they're the homeless that are striving after work. I'm compassionate to my family only if they're the family members that uh, appreciate me for who I am. So now let me ask it again. Next slide. Let's say it this way. Are you loving I say it to myself. I've been asking of myself in the whole study of this. Am I loving? Well, the reality is, the truth is, the thing that we must sink our teeth in is one of the most, I believe, clear statements Jesus makes in all the Gospels about love. Here's what he says in John chapter 13. 
by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Listen, there there are no exemption clauses here. I can't say by all of your Christian paraphernalia that you wear. I can't say by the Christianine language that you speak. He doesn't say by the songs that you sing. He says by your love is how they will know whether or not you're my disciples. So how are we doing holistically? Is the world seeing God because we are in fact showing as his witnesses love? Well, I want to ask one final question before we dive into the text. And this is the question that I'm really curious to see the answer tonight. How can I love when I don't feel it? When the feelings aren't evoked, when the Titanic theme song isn't playing, when my wife and I aren't able to go back and remember the song, you know, uh, several years ago that became kind of our deal. How do I love? When do I love? When I, when I don't feel it at all. When there's like there's no emotion, no feeling. How do I love in light of that? So all of that said, listen, open your Bibles. That's right. Not at a wedding to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Here we go. We're going to study all of three verses tonight. Three. Count them, okay? Good chance it's going to take us a a couple hours. And um, to say I'm I'm excited or uh, anticipating this evening would be an overwhelming understatement. So here we go. 1 Corinthians Chapter 13, we're going to read them all, verse 1, 2, and 3, and then we're going to break them down like never before. Verse 1, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, Paul says, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. That's not a compliment, just in case you're wondering. Number 2, verse 2, if I have prophetic powers... And understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains. This is crazy. But have not love. He says I am nothing. So let me make sure you understand that before we move one step further. He's literally saying if you have faith enough as Jesus taught in the gospels. To literally take up a mountain and move it. And you don't have love. He says specifically, I am then nothing. In verse 3, if you're not encouraged yet, if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, okay, but have not love, he says, I gain nothing. Now, chapter 12 in 1 Corinthians was all about the setting up of spiritual gifts. Chapter 14, which we'll get to in three weeks, is all about the implementation of spiritual gifts. And so sitting right in between that, you have an unbelievably beautiful chapter about love. Why? Because apparently Corinth was struggling to implement spiritual gifts in a loving way. And so you remember how we ended chapter 12. Paul says, I will show you a more excellent way. And the more excellent way is Love. So let's start here in verse 1 again. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I want to show you a couple things of great note. Next slide. How about the use of I here? 
Paul has been saying, listen, a lot of things to Corinth. In what, what would it be is if he says you? Is that third person? Is that third person or second? Okay, I'm horrible at grammatical stuff. Okay, so in like eighth person, all right? But now, but now he transitions. Don't you love this? It's the same thing that I hope you're encouraged by. And I try, I try, I try to teach this way. I know Jared does the same. It's, it's never you, it's, it's us together. I'm never, I hope, preaching at you, but, but literally the Lord preaching, encouraging, teaching us. And so I love what Paul does here in his language, okay? If I speak, okay, if I am then a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, we do have to, next slide, take note of this uh, very, very pleasant word, uh, love, okay? Uh, there are many different biblical kinds of love. Some of you have sat under what some of those different kinds of love is the one that, uh, that dominates this chapter, next slide, uh, is this. It's agape, okay? A couple different ways to say it. Some of you guys used to go to the Greenville College Music Festival, agape. How many of you guys used to go to that, okay? I, like, grew up at agape fest. Praise the Lord. There's my brothers and sisters, okay? You, like, just, basically what you did is you went to concerts in the mud. That's what agape was, okay? But here's the definition of agape. If I were to simplify it in terms, I would say it's the kind of love that gives. There is a, uh, an, uh, uh, for lack of a better term, a more physical kind of love that Scripture talks about. There's a more brotherly love that Scripture talks about. Uh, but this word, used 116 times in the New Testament, about 70 or 8 or 79 by Paul specifically, has to do with a love that is, in premise, sacrificial. So I want you to now put that hat on as we just look at the verse one more time. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not a love that gives, okay, have not a love that sacrifices, a love that, that lays down certain things that I have hoarded, then um, we see the result of that. So there's several questions that are evoked from this definition. Next slide. Where does love, where does love come from? Um, uh, which is the whole premise of the song, like, what is love, right? I mean, how do we, I mean, they, they nail it precisely. I literally was going through reading some of the lyrics of some of the top love songs. It is hilarious, some of the things that have been said about love. So instead of resting on bands or Whitney Houston, RIP, instead, why don't we rest in the scripture? Okay, where does love come from? Next slide. First John 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from, what's the word there? God, okay, so in case you're wondering, okay, the great thing about Scripture is when we teach Scripture and not Oprah, then we can rest fully in what the Scripture defines things as. And so I can't make this say anything else, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone, verse 8, this is very, very poignant, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is, by definition, love. So love comes from God. Well, what happens with that coming from God is all of a sudden, if he, uh, uh, Galatians chapter 5 says this, but the fruit of the Spirit, and what's the first word listed there? Is love. So what happens is love is from God, and then as we confess Christ, become followers of Jesus, we are gifted, or the Scripture says, sealed with the Holy Spirit. And the fruits of the Spirit 
are things that are present in every believer's life. So love is from God, and then that love that comes from God is literally implanted in believers. And so all of these fruits of the Spirit then are things that are born in believers. All of us, every single follower of Christ, this is the fruit that comes out. So that's where love comes from, and that's how you and I receive love and then show love. Next slide, though. What, what in the world, then, is the truth of verse 1? If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, what, what is Paul talking about? Well, at first glance, we would say he's just got done talking about speaking in tongues. Uh, so certainly, maybe uh, it's a reference to spiritual gifts, right? Like, uh, so if you, if you use your spiritual gift in a haughty sense, in a, you know, this shows my superiority in Christ sense, okay? Maybe that's what tongues mean, but... But maybe, and certainly some uh, theologians have argued, that this is also just general language. So let's just step back from it and say this. Anytime we use either spiritual gifts or oration, and we're using it not in a sacrificial, a love that gives kind of way, then all we are is white noise. Now, what's really, really cool and interesting is the pagan worship that was happening in Corinth that we've mentioned many, many times throughout our study is a gong and clanging cymbals, which I picture like the little, like what's the little like monkey guy, you know, who's like just clanging, like that's, that's what I have in my mind, okay? But the image of pagan worship is they would use gongs, uh, literally the Greek word here is bronze, they would use these massive bronze gongs to literally, they believed, send demons out, call God in, or arouse the worshipers. So what Paul is saying is, when you use oration or spiritual gifts in a prideful sense, okay, what happens is you literally use it just like those who are worshiping the pagan gods. Uh, the question is, what then does all of this have to do with us? Next slide. Here's what it has to do with us. Okay, That's me. A lot of things to explain from this picture. So let me, let me work one by one, okay? Um, some of you will notice the license plate. Listen, one of the best things about living in Illinois is the personalized license plates, okay? Uh, you'll notice my license plate is B40, okay? I need to explain that. Um, in high school, my sophomore year, I was playing varsity uh, basketball, and the guys uh, tackled me one day and shaved my head. That's why my, my head, you can't see it because I'm kind of cut off there, praise the Lord, but I'm bald, Okay? They shaved they shave my head ball, and they started calling me Beavis, okay? That's just when Beavis and, uh, and you know, and, and Butthead came out. Uh, some of you guys will remember that, that very God-glorifying show. Anyway, um, so they started calling me Beavis, and, and I was like, fellas, listen, I, you know, I appreciate you guys. I love you guys, and I'm, I know I'm young here. Please do not call me Beavis, okay? And so then what they started calling me was Beaver, and so literally, from that point of my sophomore year, no one, no one in my high school called me Mark ever. In fact, if you knew me back in high school, you only knew me, including in starting lineups, in football and basketball, you knew me as Beaver. My grandparents called me Beaver, okay? Like, that's how intense it was, okay? So now that that is, is shared, this is my 1998 Pontiac Sunfire. Now, in my town of Vandalia, Illinois, there was maybe like some of you had there was a, uh, a strip that people would drive on. Did you guys have this when you were growing up, some of you? Okay. Now, um, 
all of us in small town America couldn't wait to get our car because then we got to drive the strip, which now, as I look back as a practical husband and father, was a complete waste of time and money, okay? But in the moment, in the moment, you're not worried about gas mileage. You're not worried about the potential accidents that can happen. You're just, you just want to like, like do the thing that everyone is so enjoying doing. Well, inevitably, what would happen on the strip, and some of you will relate to this, is, is you, would, you would drive your car down the strip and you would turn whatever you were listening to at the loudest possible volume you could. Okay. And so, you know, you were just passing cars, people's, you know, massive subwoofers would be boom, booming in the back. I blew out my speakers in a, just a couple weeks' time, okay, because I had the weak sauce Pontiac speakers, right? But, but the point was, no one ever, ever did, uh, no one ever, ever turned the volume up on, on their stereo to deflect attention from themselves. You see what I'm saying? No one ever was like, I'm going to crank this up because I know it's going to focus on others. Okay. Like, you turn it up and you shine up your tires because you were hoping inevitably that the attention was going to be on you. That people would say, oh, Mark, look at that Pontiac Sunfire. Man, that system, brother. You know, you're... You're, you're cranking that DC talk in that system, you know, and some of you get that and others of you don't. It's okay, okay, right? I think that's precisely what Paul is saying. Like, why would you do this? Why would you ever use spiritual gifts or language and not have a motive of love behind it? And I think his point is you would do it if you're interested in yourself. Again, no one drives down the strip, turns up the music and says, look at everyone else or how can I love others through this? It's look at me. And that's the, that's the problem. That's the issue in Corinth. They're turning up their voices and their language now is becoming a potential distraction to the gospel. Uh, now the application for you and I is there are a lot of things said. There are a lot of gifts used. Uh, maybe even for some of you, where deep down in your heart, the main interest or intention is that others would see the gift that God has given you versus seeing the gift giver. I believe that God gives us gifts so that we become deeper worshipers of him. In other words, as we watch the spiritual gifts being used across the body of Christ, we get the privilege of watching what God can do in a person that we're watching grow and serve others using their gifts, which creates in us a heart of worship. Are you with me? But when we try to step in between that, take the attention off of God, focus on the gifts, what Paul says is you're like a pagan worshiping gong. It's trying to send the demons away, trying to arouse the worshipers, trying to get a God's attention. If you don't have love, it's pointless, he says. How about verse 2? As you're reeling in some of that, as I am reeling in some of that, verse 2, he stays with the first person. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, that, I mean, that statement in and of itself is massive. And if I have all faith, as we mentioned earlier, so as to literally remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. It's as if he's saying, if you have the faith to remove a mountain and then, you know, literally like clamp it down on someone's face because you have not love, 
You literally, by definition, he says, are nothing. Uh, This gets uh, and gives me an amazing opportunity to talk about something we're so passionate about here. Uh, Anyone who's ever gone through the MV, anyone who's ever heard our doctrine or our theology, you know that we're a very, very firm believer in this truth. I believe everyone everywhere is looking for two things, love and truth in that order. Okay, so whether you live in St. Charles, whether you live in Vandalia, Illinois, whether you live in Chesapeake, West Virginia, which probably isn't a real town, okay, so I got a little confused there on where Chesapeake is, right? But no matter where you live, every single person that has ever been born is looking for love first and then truth. We are so passionate here about sharing the gospel, sharing the truth of Christ with a motive of love. We never desire anyone here to ever hear truth uh, with some sort of non-loving, maybe even uh, angry sort of tone or perspective or way. I want to propose to you that I believe that many more people have been turned away from the cause of Christ because of angry legalism than hypocrisy. Think about that. More people, if you collected them all, who have walked away from the church because of X, Y, Z reason, I believe more people have turned away because of angry legalists that were holding rules, adding yokes of slavery, even though the scripture says we're loosed from it, literally freeing people, the scripture says, uh, that the gospel does, and instead they, they literally hold them down, choke them down. I believe more people have walked away because of that than what many folks would say, hypocrisy. Why is it? Because... Because the question is, okay, like maybe you, can, maybe you can preach a sermon or take a blowhorn on a street corner and yell. Or, or maybe, you know, you can talk about the realities of hell and how if we don't turn and repent that, you know, that, that we're, we're going to literally spend our lives there. And that may be true, but if it's not shared with a deep passion and love for people, then all of a sudden people become pawns. All of a sudden then the response of someone isn't a joyful response for you at some notch on your spiritual belt of worth. And so that's why and Paul makes some unbelievably bold statements. If you have prophetic powers, if you can speak the truth, in other words, be a messenger for God. I mean, if you have, if, and you know all mysteries and all, if you literally have a, an intellect that is rivaled by no one, a faith even, with that intellect that can remove mountains. But if you don't have love, you see what he says at the end of verse 2? He says, I am nothing in character. Not my, my phrases are empty, but literally me, I then am nothing. Here's what 1 Corinthians 8, we've already studied this, says on this issue. We were talking about food idols. It feels like it's been forever since we've been there. Now concerning food, uh, food offered to idols, Paul wrote, We know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge, he says, puffs up. But love what? Come on. Love love builds up. Listen, now we're starting to kind of dig into some of the core of us, some of the hurts that we have. My guess is many of you have sat in conversations where someone has lorded intellect over you with no loving intent at all. Can we collectively agree, may it not be us here. 
May when people hear the truths, even deep theology, about the wonderful character of God, may they, may you, some of you here non-believers, may you know that our hearts here isn't to build some sort of kingdom for ourselves. May you know that our heart here is a deep love and passion and care for you, caring so much so that we wouldn't want to withhold the truth from you, but we would long for you to know it and receive grace and love yourself, the same grace and love that we've encountered from a holy, righteous God. Are we together? There's all kinds of ways that we can convolute that. And the biggest of which is sin. Come on, you start to see your brother sinning. Instead of recognizing that you don't have a stone to throw, instead of taking the opportunity to speak the truth in love, which is something very biblical and beautiful, instead this non-righteous anger starts to build up in us. And the love is squashed down. What comes out is anything but loving or forgiving or gracious, even though we've made mistakes ourselves. And when someone has a chance to grow or be sanctified or, or even repent of sin, instead, they walk away feeling the wrath of humans instead of the love of God. My guess is this has happened to some of you, huh? Whenever that's happened to you, did you ever walk away like giving high fives to people? Did you ever walk away like longing to be in a parade after that, you know? Like everything in you wanted to recluse. We have the chance to show the love of God even in, even in intellect and knowledge. But love must become and must come before truth. And next slide. That's why the end here again is so powerful. He says, if you do all of these things but have not love, Speaking about himself, I am nothing. And, and listen, I want to just, like, let's try to dig in lastly on this verse into Paul's heart a bit. Uh, Paul has, by this point, learned a lot. He has uh, planted a lot of churches. He's already been persecuted. Okay? A lot has happened in his tenure as a believer. So, so I believe, though, often there was a, some sort of a pen that would have been writing for him as he is describing this and maybe even a scribe jotting it down. Like I literally picture him taking the weight of these words upon himself. Why? Because God is love and anything against that is against his God. And he's gotten to this place where he becomes so incredibly passionate about the character of his God. And listen, trying to rightly portray who his God is, he knows the battles that, that it will bring. And so I think verse 3, before he transitions into some very poetic, rhythmic uh, teaching, verse 3 is the one that I believe we struggle with the most. If I give away all I have, think about that. Because the reality is, right, if we gave away all we had here tonight, like if we went home and you were prompted, maybe inspired, hey, honey, tonight, literally tonight, between 10 and 11 o'clock, we're going to sell everything we have on Craigslist, right? This is going to be a fire sale. You know, and you're putting like your cars up for four bucks and, you know, like whatever. You're giving away couches. It would be crazy. Your house would become the place to be tonight. It would be a party, right? It would be very, very, very difficult in that moment of seemingly sacrifice to not at the end of the night as you're walking around your home, arm in arm with your spouse, your kids are walking around wondering where their bed is. It would be very, very difficult in that moment to not in your heart think, man, I am incredible. Look at what we've just done, honey. 
We literally sold everything we had on Craigslist and made 150 bucks, you know? So incredibly hard. That's why it's so incredibly hard to, as Romans 12, 9 says, let love be genuine. Why? Because wrong motive sneaks in so quick. Doesn't it, my brothers and sisters? I hate it in my heart when I find myself loving for a response. Serving and sacrificing at times so that others would see me and, you know, commemorate my efforts. He says, look, if I give away all that I have, and even more specifically, if I deliver up my body to be burned, if I make the ultimate sacrifice, maybe in this case it's talking about being burnt at the stake, maybe uh, there's other references that, um, that Paul is referring to, there was a certain uh, pagan uh, a ritual that required a burning sacrifice, maybe he's pointing to that. He's like, look, even, not just give it all away, if I literally lay my life down, but I don't have love, if love isn't the motive of my heart, then he says, I gain absolutely nothing. He said three powerful statements uh, in these three verses. He says, if I have not love, my language is noise. I am nothing, and I gain nothing. And listen, all of this, all of this is well and good. But for me, I, I'm left with a ton of questions. My question is this. Listen, I don't feel like loving people sometimes. Anybody else here? Okay, so three of us, all right? The rest of you, thank you for leading us so well, okay? I don't feel like loving people sometimes. In fact, I would say there are tremendous battles that I have. Uh, even this week, man, I'm going through a situation very, 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 very difficult to extend love. Why? Because I've been wronged. And so, like, anytime you've been wronged to, to again, in a giving way, love someone... There's all kinds of definitions of that. There's certainly all kinds of things we're going to talk about next week, more specifically about abuse, more specifically about ways that uh, maybe some of you have been completely wrong. You're like, well, well Mark, should I continue to, to give in that sort of way? We're going to define that next week. No, that's not the implication here. Okay. But, but why when someone hurts me, like in the moments that I, that, I, that I don't feel like loving them, I'm brought back to the text that Jesus said, listen, they're going to know that you're my disciples if you, if you love them. And yet for me, I'm sitting back like, well, then I, I guess I'm really, really battling to be a disciple. That, that's where I was at in all this. I was left with more questions. And as God does, all of a sudden, God started seriously, God started just to speak, to share, to show me things. So would you, can I like help us in this moment? Is that cool? Okay, next slide. Okay, how can I love when I don't feel it? Wouldn't you agree with me? If there were answers to this question that came from the scripture, wouldn't you want to know? Okay, that's where I was. Next slide. So in doing this, you got to look at Matthew 25, and this is what the Lord showed me. He, he all of a sudden just opened my, my heart and my mind to this passage. Okay, let's read it together. When the Son of Man comes in His glory... And all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. 
Before him will be gathered all the nations talking about his return. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. So this is, this is Jesus literally like showing what the end times are, is going to look like, okay? Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And that will be a glorious moment, amen. His description of what happens here is so paramount on the issue of love. Honestly, I've missed it for my entire life. I'm not going to miss it again. Next slide. Look at this. Crazy. Verse, verse 35. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Now, can we agree together, nod your head or whatever, that all of those things could be acts of love? Can we agree? Okay. What we've just studied, it doesn't mean that they are for sure yet, but they could be. They can be. They're, they're, they're giving. Okay. They're, it's, a, it's a kind of love that is an action. Right? So next slide, verse 37 says this. Then the righteous will answer him. The righteous ones. Saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? Right. And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you? Or, or naked and clothe you? And, and when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? Which are great questions. Because they're, they're like, whoa, 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 hold on a second. Like, I, I don't remember serving you food, Lord. Right, like you're actually, you're on the top of my, you know, if we could have dinner together list, right? Like I always answer that question, right? Like who do you want to have dinner with? Jesus, it's always you, Lord, right? But I don't remember sitting down with you at Outback. I would, re- I would remember it and the steak. They both would have been great, right? So the questions are clear. And here's what Jesus says. The biggest, I believe, indicator of this truth. Next slide. And the king will answer them. Truly, I say to you. As you did it to one of the least of these brothers, he says, you did it to me. Now, the Lord, I feel like, gave me this piece of the puzzle. Okay, so you have acts of love, and you have the connection between acts of love and somehow that act of love connecting with with God, whatever you've done to people, somehow you've done it to them. Next, next slide. Let's say it this way. Loving others, please see this, is not primarily between us and them. It is between us and God. Now, this for me, maybe not for you, but this for me took my mind and my heart and just started rolling it over. The reason is every time that I've, like, I've started to struggle loving someone, it wasn't because I wasn't looking at the Lord. It was because I was getting consumed in these relationships. You see what I'm saying? I started to think that loving people meant I get consumed with the people themselves. But what, but what Jesus just showed us in Matthew 25 is whatever and however we have loved others, somehow that is connected to God. 
So that means all of our love of people isn't the primary focus at all. It is somehow then our relationship to God. Next slide. Look at this. This is why this is so pertinent. 1 John 4. We love because what? Because he first loved us. All of a sudden, I was seeing love as worship. The scripture is filled with commands to love. Filled with them. I mean, all the way back to the Ten Commandments, to the Beatitudes, the writings of Paul, over and over and over, including Romans 12, 9, which I quoted earlier, let love be genuine. 1 John 4, all throughout it. If you say you have love and you don't love your brother, you don't, you don't have love. You don't know God. We love only in response to God's love of us. And our response is defined as worship. So please hear me. In other words, the more deeply we find ourselves enveloped in the worship of God, the more deeply we will love others naturally. For me, though, it has at times been very, very, very difficult to do that. Because it is so insanely easy to love others based on them. But when you love others based on an unchanging God, do you see what happens? Now, there's still difficulty in this. I want to walk through some of that. Next slide. Maybe for some of you, you're struggling to love others, number one, because of this. Are you struggling because you're not a follower of Christ? And I just want to say, I understand that. In fact, as we've been going through tonight, back to some of the language that we used several months ago, is God a God or an idea for you? Maybe for some of you, the main struggle in loving others is that because love comes from God and God puts his love in us through the spirit, maybe for some of you, you're just coming to the realization, I can't love others because I don't know God. Now, there are certainly cultural relative terms. Okay, just like when I was in fifth grade and I, you know, told my next door neighbor that I loved her. I didn't know what love meant. It's the same thing I said when Avery was born. As I held my little girl like she was Simba up in the air, you know, the, the first time seeing your parents like that first kid, you know, and you're so proud. And I literally thought in that moment, there is no possible way this girl will ever know how much I love her, even if I tell her a million times. She'll never know. She could be in this room right now, and she could be hearing her dad talk about how much he loves her. But there is no way she will ever know how much I do. That kind of love is only the kind of love that comes from the Father. So I'm just, I'm just imploring you, for those of you that are here that don't believe in Christ, you may think that you've experienced the joy of love, but can I, can I encourage you with something? You have not, and there is so much love for you to encounter in the person of Christ. I know that many of you would have that exact testimony. I, I didn't know love until I knew God. The scripture makes very, very clear. Please hear this. The scripture makes very clear. You can tonight confess Christ. Confess that he's a king and that he's Lord and that he's not just an idea but that he's God. That he, that he came and lived perfectly. 
so that somehow your sins could be forgiven through his perfect life. Died on a cross so that his blood could cover, uh, the scripture says, atone for your sin. And then as Brandon has already alluded to many times, he rose from the dead. So that through his death and resurrection, we might experience life. Listen, a non-believer in the room, you can experience that life. Please hear this so much so out of a love for you, out of a care for you. I long for you to know the truth that I know. Not because, not because. It's going to make you wiser. But because you will get to know, to get to know a God that is so unbelievably loving and gracious that has and will in his son Jesus forgive all of my sins and yours only in Christ. So confess his name tonight. So maybe for some of you, that's, that's the realization right now. I'm struggling to love because I'm not a believer. For those of you, it's this. Are you struggling to love others? Because number two, you're doubting God's love. We just said our love of others is in response is in a worship of God because of how he has loved us. There are all kinds of reasons uh, that some of you have doubted the love of God. Unfortunately, for some of you, it's because of how you've been treated in the church at times. Maybe this one, maybe churches of your past. For others of you, it's because of tragedy or loss. Uh, for others of you, it's situations when you were a child, things your parents did to you. Listen, there's all kinds of reasons that we have doubted God's love here, but, but can I just share a piece of truth with you? Our circumstances do not dictate the love of God. God's love showers over our circumstances. And listen, I know that it's easier said than believed. But I do know this. The times where I have doubted God's love, it's because I was so centered on my hurt and my pain. When I believe all of that while, God was saying, but Mark, I'm, I know you sang the song when you were a kid that I've got the whole world in my hands. Mark, you're no different. Like, I know it seems abysmal. I know right now the suffering seems great. But Mark, you have to understand, I will make all things new. Like, here and now, there's going to be strife and suffering. And, and Mark, sickness is a result of the garden. And relational strife, a result of the garden. But Mark, there's going to be a day where I'm going to wipe away every tear from your eyes. And so it's in those moments that I'm reminded not of some sort of mythical image God who can swoop in and make me feel better, but a God who does not change. And so for some of you, it's just confessing that, man, like I can't love others right now because I am so entrenched in the doubt of God's love. Number three, this is huge for me. Are you struggling to love others because you are not learning about God's love? Please, please hear this. talk about God's word so much here and I hope and pray it, it has put a, a good taste in your mouth about the pursuit of, God, uh, of God's word again I know some of you maybe grew up in context where you know you got a slap on the hand every time you weren't reading or you know the, some sort of accountability structure left you with a very legalistic taste in your mouth but, but can I ask you this how in the world can we respond to God's love and worship 
when we are not daily basking and bathing in it. Let me remind you again of why we read God's word. We read God's word not primarily to say, what does this mean for me? And looking for the bullet points. We read it because it tells us of the character of God. And I'm telling you, it is, you'll be very, very, very hard pressed to not open up that word. And all of a sudden the words become 3D. You know what I'm talking about? Where like all of a sudden it is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, and the words start breathing life. We cannot bathe and bask in the love of God, my friends, if we're not enjoying the fruit of the word of God that is right before us. Story after story, passage after passage that is just drenched with the love of God. And so it's, it's always, always to me a very simple equation. When I watch people desperately, watch myself desperately struggling to love others. And I'm just like, listen, listen, tell me right now what you're learning about God's love. And inevitably the answer is, you know, I'm just kind of, yeah, I'm just kind of stuck and this situation has caused me to run from God. You, you see what I'm saying? It just creates this cycle. But when the love of God, just when we're entrenched in it, oh my goodness, then that's the love that pours out to everybody else. We're not thinking about loving others because we have encountered and experienced the love of God so much we cannot help but love everybody else because we know how undeserving we are. Like you read some passages about what God has done and then you're looking at how, how, uh, how much strife we have with one another. It's like, what in the world are we doing? How is there any dissension in the church? How is there any division? How do we get so confused, you know? And you start slapping your head a couple times because God's love is that beautiful. It makes no sense. His grace, we're so undeserving. And yet he continues to offer it. I'm fully convinced beyond what I ever have been in my entire life that loving others is a worship issue. And I've always gotten to this point and we've challenged with some very practical things. Listen, everyone, we just need to work on this and speak the truth and love a little bit better, receive criticism deeper, and on and on and on. That's how we'll better love one another. That's how we won't be a noisy gong. That's how, that's how we won't be anything or gain nothing. But do you see what's happening? If acts of love are an act of worship to God, then all of a sudden, our love of others is a response to worshiping God, which is why number four is so quintessential. Are you struggling to love others because your love changes based on your feelings or circumstances? Here comes this song. Here comes this inspirational a movie. Here comes this person that has wronged you. Here comes all the emotions that are evoked. One of the things I love the most is getting to shepherd my kids through this specifically. Go to school every day. Got a lot, of, a lot of opportunities to love others through their differences, to care about others through their struggle. And I always love, I love asking about recess. Hey, uh, so Maddox, what, what'd you play today at recess, you know? And he'll say kickball or 
You know, he'll say, man, uh, today we just played tag. Don't you, don't you love those days, right? Don't you miss those days when you just played, you know? That's all you used to say, right? Like all the neighborhood kids used to be like, hey, what do you guys want to do today? I don't know, let's just play. And, you, and that just meant do awesome things, don't you, right? And like as we get adults, we have to get like much more specific, right? And one day Maddox came home just a little bit ago. And uh, he was sitting in the back of the, the car and I, I said, Hey, Maddox, how was recess today? And he said, well, we, we had recess with Avery's class today. I was like, oh, that's awesome. Did you get to play with Avery? He said, yeah, I, I got to play with Avery until some of, her, some of her class was making fun of me because I was young. You know, so I kind of turn around, and he's looking out the window. That precise moment, right? Here we go. I let it go as a parent, or I shepherd his heart. Well, son, why do you think they were making fun of you because you were young? And, of course, you know, he's, he's five. Daddy, I don't know. Dad, Dad, I don't care. Like, just give me a, give me a brownie or something, right? Like, we don't, we don't need to talk about this. No, 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 son. Son, is it possible? And this is what I said. And Avery was sitting back there. So beautiful. Is it possible that you're literally going to have the rest of your life people saying and doing all kinds of things against you? And isn't it possible that the power, son, of God's love for us, we get to show in some of the most difficult times where everything in us would want to run. And, you know, I was sharing all this, and I looked back, and it was just like, you know, glossy eyes, right? He didn't get it. And you know what? I'm not sure that I do at times either. But here's what I do understand now is that in my worship of God, it takes care of everything. Tonight, the call isn't that you learn how to love better. It's that we just bask in the love of God. And I really believe that in doing so, next slide, then all of a sudden this becomes our mantra. And the ownership that Jesus says and everyone will know that they are my disciples. They're not disciples of the world. They're not disciples of this God or that God or this idea or this myth. They're not dis uh, disciples of subculture uh, issues. They're not political disciples. They are my disciples, Jesus says. The Savior of the universe. Why? Because they exemplify and show a lost and dying world how powerful real love is. That is our joy to embrace it. Let's stand together. Come on. Um. So I'm going to pray something very specific, and, and I would say even, I cannot make this happen right now. I can't make it happen, but I, I want it to so bad. I literally want us right now in this moment, this is what I'm going to pray. I want us to have such a picture of the love and grace of God that it moves us not just a mere emotion, but to, in this moment again, a renewed belief of how just good God is. 
And so again, I can't make that happen. A song can't make that happen. But I do know God can restore and affirm and stir up our affection for him. I know that to be true. So listen, can we pray that together right now? That literally in these precise minutes, maybe some of you will call on the name of the Lord for the first time. Or some of you, all of a sudden, who have been in a, a slump or a dry season, will just be overwhelmed with the truth of the love of God right now. Let's pray it so. Come on. Father, please, please, Lord, right now in this second, I ask that you wouldn't tarry in showing us the depth of your character. I pray, Lord, that the world would get to see what you're doing in us. So thank you, God, for first loving us. Thank you, God, for gracing us and being merciful to us. And I pray then, I pray then that our reaction that our response would just be enveloped in a life of worship. So God, would you do something right now that would stir in our hearts the truth of how much you love us, that nothing can separate us from it. Just come and be present in this room. Break us in half. Humble us in your presence. Oh.